0: Good evening, everybody, and good evening to all of you listening and watching online tonight. I'm Pastor David Nigro, filling in for Pastor Rick, who is doing well, lest you should worry about him. Uh, We'll be in 2 Timothy tonight, Chapter 4, doing a topical that I have entitled The Final Four. Now, those of you who are basketball fans, uh, being in March Madness right now, we're probably making that association, but this has nothing to do with basketball. We're going to be in uh, verse 5 tonight, which is our anchor verse. But ye be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The background for you tonight in regard to this letter is Paul is, he is in Roman prison his second time. Now this will be his final letter, and Uh, he is sending this to Timothy, his young protege. He's likely in a dungeon prison this time, because when you're awaiting trial in Rome, that's where they would hold you. His previous imprisonment would have been in a uh, kind of a house jail, if you will. Uh, He spent a couple of years there, and it would be, I think, a a little bit kinder of an environment. But this one would be dark and damp and Cold and I'm sure had a stench that was, was quite terrible. A little later in the chapter, Paul is going to ask Timothy to uh, quickly, if he can, bring him his cloak before winter approaches, no doubt, because he understands that the conditions will worsen. You know, now Timothy is that son of his in the faith that he, he trusts will carry on his ministry when uh, he is no longer able to. Paul has had his initial hearing with uh, the Roman government, and he has a sense of their temperament and that uh, he is likely going to be executed. Being on death's doorstep, he expresses this in the following verse that uh, he writes to Timothy, saying that, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. What's so impressive to me about uh, the Apostle Paul is that regardless of what was happening in his life, uh, he was just focused on ministry. And just imagining the conditions that he would have been in in that prison and knowing that uh, death awaited him very soon, um, he was still just all about ministry, doing all that he could for the Lord. And I think that is what, for me, is just such uh, an impressive thing about him. You know, he, he wrote this in Philippians one twenty one. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because that was his mindset, right? If he was going to be alive, then it would be all about Jesus. And if he was to die, well, that was just his gain, because he would be with the Lord, no longer in this sinful world. <clears throat> now, at the time of Paul's conversion, um, Jesus had told Ananias to, to go and get Paul to ready him for ministry. And, and Ananias had a little bit of an issue with that. He thought, well, Lord, do you have any idea who you're sending me to, to get here? This guy's been murdering those in the church. And so the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, You know, Paul, he understood that death would would be his gain because he knew what he had in front of him as so long as he was to be alive. He would be suffering for Christ, and he was willing to do so. Now, knowing that his time is short, he sets about communicating in this letter to Timothy, and he, he wants to convey those things he feels are most important for this young pastor who he expects will carry on his ministry. Now, there's a serious threat to the church that's taking place at this time, and it's in the form of false teachers and false doctrines. It didn't take long for this to happen. And so Paul, he understands this, and he knows that when he is in prison now, these are going to take the opportunity to advance their heresies, knowing that Paul wasn't going to be able to come and challenge them. He wouldn't show up and and confront them. And so they were emboldened by it, and Paul knew that. And he knew that uh, this was going to get worse. And so he's trying to warn Timothy here as he begins this letter reminding him uh, about his faith and his heritage, saying to him, you know, to stir up that gift of God which was uh, in him through the laying on of Paul's hands. And then he encourages him not to be ashamed of the gospel, but to share with him in the sufferings of the gospel uh, according to the power of God and to hold fast the pattern of sound words which he had heard from Paul. He tells him to be strong, in the grace that is in Jesus Christ and to remember the things that you have heard from me, committing these things to faithful men who would be able to teach others also and endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He then talks to him about approved and disapproved workers, telling him to charge those disapproved before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, but to the ruin of the hearers and for him to shun Praying, uh, excuse me, profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. He says their message will spread like cancer, naming Hymenius and Philetus as being of this sort, who have strayed. He says concerning the faith, and is looking to overthrow some. Paul then writes to him about perilous times and perilous men which will come, and of the importance of being a man of God and of the word of God. And then he charges him to preach the word in season and out of season. He says to him, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And then we come to our verse tonight where he then says to him, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So watchful of all things. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be attentive to the things that are going on around us, but with spiritual eyes. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we live in a physical universe, but there is a parallel, a physical, excuse me, spiritual realm to the physical that that is taking place. And we are supposed to be attentive to that, understanding this relationship. Now, I wouldn't encourage you to hyper-spiritualize things. You know, I've seen people who... They want to assign a, a spiritual Im- implication to you know the, every leaf that falls, and you know the kind of person they wake up at three thirty three in the morning and it's somehow spiritually related. Uh, that's not the case, and nor nor do I believe that's how we should behave. But we should recognize that those things that are going on around us have spiritual in- implications. The world around us is influenced in that way. Now. How do you know what I'm saying is true? Well, I mean, there's plenty of examples in the scripture. I'll give you just a couple. One is James, who is writing now in regard to praying for the sick. And this is in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And he says this, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a like nature, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. So, you know, prayer is a physical act that that transcends the physical. And when we're praying, we are before the Lord. And the outcome of that is that there's an effect here in the physical universe that we are in. Those who come out on Sunday mornings to pray regularly, they know the power of prayer, having seen the testimony of so many prayers that have been answered by the Lord. And so you need to understand that that there is this relationship. Likewise, there are things happening in the spiritual realm that have a a direct impact on the physical world around us. So here's an example of that. Take the story of Job. Job chapter one eleven and 12. Satan is before the Lord and he's challenging God regarding Job. And he says, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not touch his person. Well, there's a, a series of heartbreaks that befalls Job overnight, really. He loses his family. He loses his servants and all his possessions. And he, he being a wealthy man is reduced to nothing. In, in an instant. And he does not curse God. And Satan then says to the Lord, well, if you let me touch his his physical frame, that will change things. And he gives him permission. And, and Job then suffers physically as well. Now, in all of that, Job never cursed God. And in the end, he says, though he slay me, I will trust him. But... Did Job understand what was going on in the background? Did he have all of this at the time? I don't think he did. Yet, it was taking place. And so, we have this interconnection between the physical and the spiritual. We're supposed to be looking around us. We're triune beings made up of body, soul, and spirit. So, you have both physical eyes and spiritual eyes. Those spiritual eyes, if you will, um, they are because you have been born again. What do I mean by that? Well... Let's look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 and 14. He says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So because of that, indwelling Holy Spirit that is within the believer, you have insight. You have spiritual eyes. And God has given that to us. And so, now, when Paul tells Timothy to be watchful, it's not with a bystander kind of an attitude. Have you ever been around an incident where people need to get involved, right? There's just, there's a need. Somebody needs help. And you have those people who just stand there, and they watch. What well, that's what a bystander is. They don't get involved. They just observe and aren't a part of solving the issue or rendering aid. Well, that's not what he has in mind for Timothy. He wants him to be involved. And this is what he, he first says to him. He says, listen, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and with all long-suffering and teaching. Because Timothy hears what's coming and in the next Uh, a couple of verses here, three through five, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know, when this ministry here at Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville started more than 20 years ago, I thought that We would just grow exponentially because the Word of God was being taught the truth of God. And I knew how much I desired that, and I thought we would just be exploding. I have since changed my view. And it is because I believe we live in a day and age where very few will endorse sound doctrine. I can tell you, uh, over the years, many who have come, and initially, have, you know, endorsed what they were experiencing. Oh, I love the Bible studies, the teaching. It's wonderful. And within a a couple, three months, they disappear. Because, you see, as you go through the scriptures, the scriptures go through you. And it's difficult. It is hard because it requires from you change. It requires that you examine yourself, as Paul tells us in the scriptures we ought to do, and then And then once you understand that there's something of your life that doesn't line up, you need to fix it. And, you know, when you're in a church that will hold you accountable to such things, you just can't get away with not making those changes. The word is constantly being preached. Others are living life in such a way as um, they are living up to those things that God is calling us to as best we can. And so if... You're under that, and you're not comfortable. You'll go somewhere else. And that's what I think many folks have done, because they will not endure it. Well, we are to be watchful for disapproved workers from the perilous men who will bring these profane and idle babblings, as Paul describes it. You know, we have this great resource called the Internet, right? And uh, you can go anywhere. And there's so much out there that you can find in regard to spiritual things. The vast majority of it is junk, heresy. There are many false teachers, and there are many false teachings that you're going to come across on the internet as one example. You have got to be careful as to what it is that you're looking at, listening to, reading. you got to understand the source, and you need to know The word of God to be able to do that. You know, not all springs are are pure. You just can't drink from anywhere. And a lot of Christians make this mistake. They are not careful on where they go. And they drink from polluted springs. Paul says, he says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker not needing to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not just for Timothy. That's for you and I as well. It is up to us to be diligent. You need to be in the word of God. Um, You need to be sitting under the word of God as you are tonight. And you need to be studying so that you understand what God's word has to say so that you will, as you watch out, be able to tell that which is... Of God in that which is not. That you would not be subject to those who are profane and idle babblers. There's something else that you need to be watchful for. Your enemy. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he's telling him to be sober and... In other words, to be clear-minded, not under the influence, uh, not in a stupor, attentive. And it's the, the same word really here that, that uh, Paul is using to Timothy for being watchful. He tells him to be vigilant, Peter does. Well, vigilance is, a, is being continually on guard, expecting that something is coming. In my, my secular job, uh, when I make a traffic stop on a vehicle, I'm immediately at a heightened state of vigilance. It starts as soon as I begin the stop. I'm watching the vehicle. I'm looking at the occupants of the vehicle. I'm looking at the driver, the passengers. I'm, I'm looking to see if they're making movements that would be considered possibly dangerous. Uh, you can see if a person dips their shoulder as they reach under the seat, for instance. Those are things that would telegraph to me that I may have a, an issue. And then... After that vehicle stops, when I make my approach to that vehicle, that, that heightened state is intensified even more because I am expecting the worst, and it happens every single time, and I, cannot, I can't treat it any differently because if I do, then I put myself at jeopardy because I've become you know, complacent. So every single time, there needs to be this vigilance that I'm watchful, I am on guard, I'm expecting something, the worst hoping that it doesn't happen, but that's, that's the attitude, that is the mindset that you have to have, and that is the mindset that Paul is looking for Timothy to have here. He wants him to be watchful in that sense, expecting, because he warns them of these guys. He warns them of the, the issues that, that the church is going to be facing, and he knows that he won't be there to deal with it, but Timothy likely will, and he wants him to be ready. He wants them to be watching. Now, you know, knowing that your enemy seeking after you is important, right? But knowing what the tactics of your enemy are, are also important. The devil is above uh, perhaps all things a liar. And, and as such, he is very good at being deceitful. I have found that he is more often than not very subtle in what he does. Now, that doesn't mean you can't tell what he's doing, but it does mean you sometimes have to look very closely. Remembering that he is deceitful means that uh, he is usually going to insert a lie amongst truth. And many have fallen for that. Many within the body of Christ have fallen for that. You need to be on guard for such things, understanding who your enemy is and what his tactics are. Now, we've been talking about being watchful, and, and my saying to you with spiritual eyes, you know, things are happening in, in the, the world around us right now in our culture. And I wonder if you understand what some of that means. For instance, the the woke generation that we have right now. Do you understand that this supersedes the cancellation of cartoon characters and our favorite children's books? Do you understand that what's really going on here is they're looking to cancel everything that they disagree with. They may not know it, but the devil does. He is looking to cancel the word of God. You see, because the word of God is offensive. It, it is, because we're a sinful people. And as such, sinners get offended when they hear the word of God. And let me tell you, uh, that has always been, and it will never change. But what we're in jeopardy of right now is if they are successful with this kind of a movement, is them coming against the church so that they can cancel the gospel, the word of God. Now, again, they don't see it that way, perhaps, but that's what the devil's up to. I'm quite sure of that. I remind you, though, um, of what Jesus had to say about the persecution of the church, and make no mistake, that's what it would be. It would be a persecution of the church. This is John chapter 15, 18 through 25. If the world hates you, Jesus speaking here, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they do to you for my name's sake, because... They do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. It is an unpleasant area to come across in Scripture to understand that you'll be hated just like Christ was hated because you love him. And that's the way it is. And if you haven't figured that out yet, um, you will. Because that is what our Lord has told us would be the case, and indeed it is. I think we have had less to deal with in our nation um, and in in the time that we've lived than others have elsewhere in the world. But that does not make it any less true. And so that brings us to our next topic, which is uh, endure afflictions. Now, Paul understood, I think, better than any of the other apostles, really, what enduring affliction was all about. And I want to just take a look at his track record of sufferings for a minute, recorded for us in 2 Corinthians eleven, twenty four through 28. Paul speaking here says, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, and in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Well, I don't think anybody else has quite a resume of suffering uh, amongst the disciples as Paul did. And you know, when you read something like that, you, you try to just kind of look back and associate. Is there like anything in my life that has even come remotely near any of that? And so I did that, right? So I'm going to share some of that with you. Uh, not that I came anywhere near it, but uh, here's what I came up with. When I was was a kid, my dad, he used to use a a leather belt to administer, you know, discipline. And he did that in the seat of the pants, so don't, you know, don't get me wrong. It wasn't across my back or elsewhere. But I can tell you this, it was many more than five times. I don't know how many stripes because generally what happened was in the middle of his counting, he would interrupt himself so that he could reprimand me, lose count, start over. So that's about as close as being whipped. Um. I I was never beaten with a rod, but I did have one of my sisters break a broomstick across my back during an argument. And I won't tell you how it ended. I'll just tell you I won. (laughs) All right. Uh, The closest I can come to being shipwrecked uh, was in a canoe in a lake at night with some friends. And it was late November, and it was very cold. And one of the friends that I had, or so-called friends, decided tipping the canoe was a good idea Uh, putting us all in the water. And uh, thankfully, there was a fire on the beach. And uh, also, thankfully, there were no vipers in the fire. All right. (laughs) Lastly is this. So as a young man growing up in Jersey, uh, I have been in peril of my countrymen more times than I can possibly count. (laughs) Um, I know what it means to run from a mob. And... uh, many times. But by God's grace, I was faster and more elusive, or perhaps I was just more motivated. But they never caught me, and so I'm thankful for that. of course, all that being humorous, uh, you know, as unpleasant as any of those things were, none of them, none of them were anything of the sufferings that Paul went through, and none of them were for the Lord. And so, you know, I, I recognize in my own life that I just have not had to suffer like this man did. And I don't know that there'll come a time when I will have to or not. You don't know what the future can hold, but I listen to what he is saying here to Timothy. And I think here's a guy who knows what he's talking about. And he lived his life in such a way that um, in spite of all of that, uh, all that suffering, he endured it. And so when he says it, when he, and he says it quite casually, right? He just says, endure affliction and he moves on. Well, it wasn't that it was so matter-of-fact. It was that, to him, it was just, these were just obstacles that needed to be overcome for ministry. And uh, and he was committed to the Lord to carry that ministry out as we are supposed to be. So... You know, essentially what he's speaking about is perseverance. See, it's that ability to endure adversity, to, to reach a goal. And um, that means you must continually do this. It is not necessarily just a season. It is for a lifetime. Now, you know, in life there's simply those things which are at times difficult by nature, right? Like work can be difficult by nature. Um, But then there are those things that cause pain and suffering, which is really more of what he's after here. This is what affliction is. It's pain and suffering. And some of you are saying, wait, work causes pain and suffering? If that's the case, you need to get a new job. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, what we're talking about is really related to suffering for Christ. And um, that brings the question for all of us, really, what are we willing to, to suffer for the Lord? Are we willing to endure hardship for him, affliction for him? You know, most of us truly, we just haven't had any real suffering in life, comparatively speaking. And uh, I think for us, uh, we tend to be creatures of comfort and convenience um, because we're so very blessed. At least I know that of myself. And uh, I only need to lose electricity to figure that out. After about three hours, I'm upset, right? The candles are nice for a little while, and then I want the power back on. So I know I'm soft, and you know most of us are because we – and that's nothing wrong. Listen, I don't want to live without electricity. I'm not expecting you to either. But what I am saying is you know, relative to what our experience is, we – we tend to just be, I think, so blessed that we're soft and we're not, we're not accustomed to having to deal with difficult things. And, and so um, what happens if that comes? We have to answer that question, I think, when it comes. But there's a preparation that I think we, we have to, uh, to be serious about if, if we're ever going to, to have to face that. And that is that um, we understand, first of all, that this is a possibility for us. And to ready ourselves in our attitude for it. And so, hoping that uh, we don't necessarily have to, I'm, I'm not saying that we are supposed to be hoping for, for affliction, but, but we're also not supposed to avoid it. And um, not for Christ's sake, we are not to avoid it. Well, I don't ask these questions to make anybody feel guilty, and just I think it's, it's something we need to, to evaluate in our own lives. Uh, because, you know, we're supposed to die to ourselves daily while we follow after the Lord. And um, that is an attitude, quite honestly, the willingness to, to beat down the flesh, to, to take up that cross daily as you follow after Jesus. Well, most of us, I think, are familiar with the term preppers, you know, those who build a bunker in the backyard. And they stock it with food and supplies and just everything you can think of. They're they're ready for that doomsday event. I think the best that we can do as Christians when it comes to, you know, prepping for perhaps difficult times, affliction, is to just be stocking our hearts full of God's word, strengthening ourselves spiritually, because really that's the only way we would be able to endure uh, the difficulty of which Paul is speaking to Timothy about. Um. You know, Paul told Timothy that Demas had forsaken him, Uh, having loved this present world, he said. And I don't think it was that that Demas was, you know, after worldly things, that he suddenly abandoned his faith and was out living secularly. I think it's because he was afraid. And um, he was afraid he was going to end up like Paul. Looking at Paul in a Roman prison just awaiting death, he knew that um, that was a real possibility for him should he continue. And I think he got scared, and I think he left out because of that. Now, before you judge him too harshly, I, you know, I say, consider the apostle Peter having rejected our Lord when he did, when he too was scared. And yet, the Lord restored him, and Peter never wavered after that. And so, you know, in that, I, I think we, we see that, you know, God's grace is just beyond what we can imagine. He sees past our failures, the Lord does. So it's very possible, we don't know uh, really what happened to Demas, but it's possible that that uh, he picked up uh, and he was moving forward in the Lord and, and used by God. We just don't know. But I think we need to leave room for those kinds of things, like you need to leave room in your own life. If that you fall down, you need to get up. You see, God is ready to forgive you faster than you are for yourself. I think most of the time we just don't, Understand that. And some folks, I think, when they, when they fail, they, they are um, not so quick to, to get up. And the Lord would have you get up and move forward because he is ready to forgive. Well, now we come to his words to do the work of an evangelist. Well, in Ephesians 4.11, the scriptures clearly state that the Lord has appointed some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers. Now, God can appoint someone to more than one office at at a time, and I think Timothy is an example of that. I think Timothy was both an evangelist and a pastor teacher and gifted accordingly. Now, some of you may possess the gift of evangelism, and you enjoy uh, the ability to share the gospel and with great success, and many of us do not have that. However, God has still commanded us to evangelize, and he did so in Matthew 28 The Great Commission, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, you know, we've all been given that to go out. To make disciples. You cannot make disciples unless first you have a believer. And so it starts with sharing the gospel. Now, understanding that our witness or, you know, how you live before others is certainly very important. Because if it isn't consistent with Christ, then it's going to discredit the message of the gospel as you bring it. And others are quick to notice those things. So you need to have a solid witness. But how you live isn't enough. The gospel must be spoken. You must share it, and I think that is sometimes, you know, what we fall short in. We may be living right, but we're not so quick to share our faith, and um, that's where I think so many of us need to be bold and, and look for opportunities that God gives to us to share our faith. I think a lot of people you know they they do share they share it um when it's made easy for them, but they don't necessarily when it isn't um quite so easy you know if you have somebody come up to you and just ask you about your faith it makes it pretty easy right I can just go ahead and explain but uh you know to take the opportunity sometimes is is tough you, you know you just don't know and um you're a little afraid perhaps because maybe you think that you're going to have to answer a lot of hard questions right that the scriptures that that uh, you hope you can remember um that they come to you and and being fearful of that you know you don't want to necessarily share your faith because you feel like you might have to answer questions that you can't and you know that that shouldn't stop you because really you know god will give you what you need is what it comes down to If he's given you the opportunity to share the gospel, he's going to give to you what you need in the moment. And you just need to trust him for that. If he puts you in that situation, you are uniquely in that place right then and there. And there's your your chance now to be used. And uh, letting him use you in that way is a wonderful thing. Now... You know, you're not only supposed to evangelize, but to disciple. As I mentioned earlier, you know, you've got to have a believer before you can disciple them. But it's not enough to just get somebody to Christ. You, you've got to get them to a place where they're going to uh, be able to be discipled. And you may not be the person to do that, but if you do lead somebody to Christ, help them find a solid church that they can plug into. And uh, it's important because otherwise the enemy will come in really quickly to undo, if he can, what's been done in that person's life. And I have seen that more than once. So take that opportunity, if you can, to um, to help them. I had a friend years ago who I did lead to Christ, and, and uh, you know I would have loved for him to come here, but that wasn't uh, in, in uh, his mind to do that. But uh, he did get to a church, and I encouraged him to get involved, and he did. He did get plugged in. And um, he did grow, because I, I worked with him for some years after that, and I saw it. And it, um, it was great, a wonderful thing to see. But it's a necessary thing, discipleship. Now, you know, when most people think of evangelism, I think they think of, you know, Billy Graham, right? Who can't uh, think of him immediately when you talk about evangelism. But him preaching to thousands is not the picture for us, really, because, you know, that is not typical usually it 's one on one and what I have found is it 's usually with somebody that you 've had a chance to build a relationship with, and um, you know you could find somebody who God puts in front of you that you 've never met and you have a chance to give them the gospel that does happen, but more often than not it happens because of a relationship that you've you 've built with someone and you need to Understand that, um, you know, living in a, in a bubble and a compound kind of mentality will keep you from having relationships with other people who are not believers who you'd have a chance to uh, perhaps share the gospel with and lead them to Christ. Um, in my life, what I have learned to do is, um, you know, just love people and you know, understand who they are I don't, uh, I don't go out and, you know, pal around with people doing things I would not, uh, you know, otherwise do. But I still have relationships with people who are unbelievers, and I do care about them, and I think they care about me, and it has allowed me in my life to minister to them at different points. Sometimes when they go through a difficult circumstance, I've had them come to me, and because they understand what my faith is, at least from a distance, and they will come and they'll ask questions. And uh, I have had that, that opportunity to lead somebody to Christ because of that. And so I give you, I give you those examples which uh, perhaps would be useful to you because I didn't know these things until they happened and I saw what God was doing. So um, really it's, it's, I think, up to you to just look for it. Look to see what God will do. Be prepared, share your faith, maybe just, you know, understand you witness for Christ and what he did in your life, if nothing else comes to you. And many times that is enough. Well, I'll read to you this from Romans, and then we'll move on from this uh, section here. This is uh, chapter 10, 14, and 15. Paul writes, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, and lastly, I'll just say this. You know, you may not get the fruit uh, in bringing somebody to Christ that you've witnessed to, but you certainly can plant seeds. You know, we understand that um, sometimes, you know, one plants and another waters, but God gives the increase. So don't uh, underestimate what God can do through you uh, when it comes to sharing your faith. Well, last part of this is to fulfill your ministry. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but every Christian is called to ministry. And just because you're sitting in the pew right now does not mean that you're not called to ministry. Every single Christian is. And now, you know, there are those who are called to, to ministry full-time, right? That's how they're paid. That's how they make their living, if you will. Um, we know that is the case, and pastors uh, across the nation are examples of that. Is as, as well as those who are called perhaps to the mission field and uh, are in other countries. But uh, they are just one fraction of what ministry is all about, and uh, really— a ministry is going to happen primarily through the body of Christ. Now, we read just one verse, I think, a little earlier from Ephesians four 11. I'll read the, the verse accompanying it also, which is verse 12. I'll read them both. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, keying in there on that second verse, right? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So God has given to the church these things. He's given apostles. He's given prophets. He's given evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, there is ministry to be done both inside of the church and outside of the church. Now, inside of the church, it is to prepare so you can go outside. Everything we do here is in preparation for going out there. And that's why there's a little sign when you leave here that says you're now entering the mission field because that is where the mission field is. You don't have to go to a foreign country. It's just as soon as you step out the door. Now, occasionally there might be an unbeliever who comes in here, but most of the time, the church is filled with those who believe. So it's it's not just about us building up And getting stronger and equipping so that we can come back and do that again. we got to go out there and spend it. And, And really, that is, when I talk about ministry, what ministry is. So, God has equipped you. He's gifted you as a believer. Now, how that looks, I can't tell you. Well, some of you I can. But I will tell you this, that for many believers they don't always get to the place where they understand what God has gifted them with or even what their ministry is because one, they haven't fully submitted to him. And two, they don't make themselves available. Those are two things right there that are going to be an obstacle for you to understand what God has gifted you with and what your ministry is. Now that ministry, like I said, isn't just here, it's outside too. And there's things God will use you for outside of the church, I promise you, if you let him. Now, you do have to be prepared, and this is where you do that in large part. And the church can't equip you unless we we were able to do uh, the things here that we do, right? I mean, for instance, if we didn't have a children's ministry, it would be very difficult and almost impossible to equip if we don't have ushers. Same thing, and so forth and so on. So there are all these things that happen in the church that are indeed ministry, but they are for preparation so that we can then go out. Now you know I have uh, had some who have come in through the church over the years who, who will just visit occasionally, and, and what they say to me is, you know, that uh, their ministry is outside of the church, so they don't they don't really have a church per se. They're involved in para ministries, and um, my take on that, uh, for the large part, is that um, you know para ministries really are not good uh, for the church because they tend to just take resources from the church. They take, you know, they look for funds and they look for people to be able to exist. And all the while, they're not really a church, though they look to try to maybe do something explicitly given to the church, but they're not a church. And so I think in large part, um, they're not good, nor do I think they're scriptural. Now, occasionally, and I do think there are some para ministries who um, are uniquely set up in a way a church can't be. And there's some that we, we know of, and we do support in this way. And, and that would be, if, for instance, you, you turn for Christ, who um, they are geared towards helping those who have a substance abuse addiction, or a substance addiction. And um, they're a, a sort of an environment where when somebody goes there, it's a controlled environment. There are medical personnel that are there. Um, they're required to work while they're there, and they have uh, intensive Bible studies throughout the day as well. And uh, it's trying to get them away from their temptations, get them clean and sober, and then and give to them the Word of God. Now, I don't know of any churches, really, and if there are, there are probably few who are equipped to do that kind of thing. And so I think there's an example of where a power ministry does work well. But for the most part, I I, I disagree with them. And I don't think anybody should be so involved in a ministry um, outside of a church that they're not involved in a church. I think you need to have a church, and God has set it up that way. Now, I will close with um, this thought, at least this section with this thought, that, you know, God has gifted and equipped you. And the question becomes, I think, uh, because many of you, I do know, are, are acting on it. But if you're not, do you, do you know what God is, has gifted you with? Or perhaps what he wants you to do? If you don't have that answer, you need to be seeking him. You need to ask that question. Lord, what would you have me do? Because I promise you, you may not think you have anything to offer the Lord. You might think, well, what do I have? I promise you that God has given to you gifts. And that you can be used by him. However, you might doubt that. It is true. You need to be available. You need to be submitted. And let him do the rest. Because he'll take it from there. Well, I'm going to close with this. Um, this is from 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. Paul here, finishing up, says this. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, that you would keep us watchful that you would enable us to endure whatever comes our way. Lord, that you would help us to share the gospel and to fulfill the ministry that you've called us to. Lord, we love you tonight. We rely upon you for every single thing. We ask now that you would get us home safely and may you make use of us for your kingdom this week. In Jesus' name, amen.